COVID brought e-commerce from something like 10% to 30%, but that still means that 60 to 70% of, of purchases are happening in stores, right? So th that's still where the lion's share of purchases are happening. And you're missing a huge opportunity if you're not really focusing on all of those channels eventually. Direct-to-consumer is an incredible channel for sales to start a brand. You don't have to deal with middlemen and you can get started faster with the technology of e-commerce. However, to grow as a brand, there is a time where you'll expand beyond just D2C. Getting into retailers and grocery stores is hard and a lot of the information is hard to find. But you don't need to worry because today we are discussing life as a brand beyond just D2C. Welcome to How to Market Your D2C Brand, a show where we interview founders and marketers in the D2C space to learn about how they have grown their brands and current best practices in marketing. This is a show brought to you by Goodo Studios, a photo and video creation studio that works with consumer brands to make content that converts viewers into customers. I'm your host, Matthew Katozzi. Today's guest is Jason Starr. He is the founder and managing director of Company First. Company First invests in and focuses on the exciting market of innovative emerging consumer brands with high growth potential. Jason is in the trenches with consumer brands, helping them grow their brand. I wanted to start out the interview by understanding how important it is to have a great brand versus a great product. Or does the brand not matter if you have a great product? Yeah, you know, this is uh, kind of like the chicken and egg discussion in terms of, of consumer industry. And, you know, there's really no right or wrong answer. I think uh, um, the reality is that a lot of companies start with a product. You know, generally, sometimes the best products are an unmet need. You know, somebody wants something, it's not being made, so they go out and make it. And that's awesome. We, we love to see that. Um, but at my firm, Company First, we're kind of firm believers that even if you had a product idea to start with, you really need to develop the brand early. It's really important. And a lot of people think the brand is your logo and it's not just your logo. You know, your brand is the voice that you're going to speak in, the values, what your brand stands for, how you're going to communicate, because, you know, your products need to be consistent with that. It kind of lays the roadmap for what you're doing in the future. Um, and so, you know, if you don't start with brand, that's fine. Cause a lot of times you just have a great product idea, but it's really important to us that you think about the brand really early. Um, and that that's kind of like a fundamental, um, um, basis for everything that you do going forward. So for the people that end up going product first and not really focusing on the brand, when does brand matter for, for those companies? When should they start investing in the brand? Obviously you say it's early, but for companies that haven't invested in it, when is that time when it's okay, now it's time to, to invest in a brand? I mean, it's never too early. I mean, I think, I think a lot of times, you know, you can even have a brand and define the brand before you have products. It's just usually done the other way around. But I think, you know, if you're out there kind of, you know, testing for market fit and you're, you're taking the product to customers to say, would you buy this? You know, it's okay if you don't have the branding done yet, but the minute you want to start talking to, you know, channels and start talking about retailers and all of that kind of stuff, you really have to have your brand 
um, at least the groundwork laid out. Um, you know, you really want your product to make an emotional connection with your consumer. And a lot of times the product itself will make an emotional connection, but the icing on the cake and the way you really solidify them as a customer in the future is to kind of have that emotional connection through your brand. Because once you have that, you can create other products and they'll come back and buy your other products because they love your brand, not just the one product that you came out with. So it's kind of never too early and, you know, it's okay if you started with a product, but, um, you know, I give a good example. We have a, a portfolio company called Murphy's Naturals and, you know, Philip is a veteran who just loved being outdoors, but he hated the idea of putting nasty chemicals on him and his family to protect themselves from mosquitoes. So you know, he tried a bunch of, of products, nothing really worked. So he started mixing his own. People said you should bottle this and sell it. So he started doing that. And he came up with this branding called Murphy's Naturals. And, you know, he could have called it Skeeter Beater or Skeeter Off or something like that. But he came up with this philosophy of being outdoors, but leaving the world a better place than you found it. And it's pervasive in everything he does, being a B Corp, you know, they literally keep bees, no pun intended, on the roof to give back to the environment. It's it's like they're really authentic about it. And when you interact with the brand, you feel like you walked into an REI versus a bug repellent. And mm -hmm. so now they're able to expand in a whole bunch of other categories. And um, you know that's one of the main reasons that you know, it's a great product. It's probably the best one on the market. But the reason that we invest in the business is because he built this umbrella brand, whether he knew it or not, this brilliant brand that, that it stands for be good to the world and be outdoors. And so that that is the difference between product. And it's a good example in my mind of the difference between product and brand. Brand is more than a logo. It is about values and how you want to connect with your customers. I wanted to know if Jason has a framework that he helps companies run through to build a successful brand. I mean, it's pretty standard. I mean, the approach to branding is a pretty well-worn path, right? You have to identify who your customer is, what are their values, how are they going to connect with your brand, what do you want to make them feel, how are you going to convey that? So, you know, it's more art than it is science. The process for creating a good brand, you know, you can Google it and find the same five, six steps on a bunch of websites. The challenge is getting it right, right? The challenge is really going out and understanding who your target customer is, what values are really going to connect with them, and how do you Im embed that? And so a lot of times when we talk to brands, it's about communication, it's about emotions, it's about connection. And so you know, again, it's, it, I'm not trying to make it sound like it's easy because it's really hard, but the process itself isn't like some secret scientific method, right? But it's, you've got to do the legwork. And so we work with a lot of companies that get their starts at farmer's markets. And, and I'm a huge fan and advocate of starting because founders of the business can interact with people at the ground level that are deciding whether or not to buy your product. And you can even lay out on the table with your product, a bunch of brand ideas. You can ask people which resonates with them. So it's kind of one of those, it's not hard, but you hard in terms of the steps, but you got to do the work. You got to get out there. You can't just kind of hide out in a conference room and brainstorm a bunch of stuff. You've got to interact with your customers. You got to figure out what it is that's going to resonate with them. And if you can do that, if you really can, something, you know, a brand that resonates with them. Again, back to my earlier point, the beauty of it is the products now fulfill the brand promise. And you can literally sit back and say, what are all the products that make sense to 
put this brand on it that are consistent with the values. And then people, once they buy into the brand, will buy a lot of the different products that you put the brand on. Direct to consumer is just one channel of sales. But as Jason has already mentioned, brands can grow into retailers and other channels. I wanted to know how he develops a new channel for sales. It's a good question. And one of the things that we did when I started Company First was we very specifically did not put a minimum revenue in terms of the companies that we look at. And the reason is, is that I think it's really a good thing to be very focused on your early sales channels, right? And that may mean, you know, we're going to focus on 10 small specialty stores in my backyard, you know, my, my, my local area, or even farmer's markets or whatever. So I, I think focus is important and figuring out how to be successful at one channel before you move on to other ones. And so, you know, start small, smart focused, learn a ton and adapt and, and improve, whether it's packaging or again, branding or products or whatnot. And then you can move on to other channels. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why DTC is so popular and so, so helpful is because it's, it's very easy to start on DTC. You know, you don't have to get through uh, uh, buyers at retailers and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, um, DTC is a great first channel, but you know, you'll hear me say this on social media a lot, you know, DTC is just a channel, you know, people like to talk about DTC brands, you know, and I don't like to think about brands as DTC brands. I like to think about brands that started DTC and you, you, you have all these other channels that you can move to in the future. And so, you know, whatever channel you start on, be focused, be focused on the metrics. So if you're DTC, you know, all the common metrics, customer acquisition costs and average order volume, all that kind of stuff, be laser focused on the metrics. You know, if you start in retail, you got to think about kind of turns on the shelves and, 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 and um, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, the other thing as you expand to other channels that I think is really important to think about is, um, and this is something that we help people think through a lot is what parts do you build internally versus where do you go outside, right? Because as an emerging brand, you're resource constrained and there's wonderful resources, whether it's an outside sales group or outside digital marketing group or whatever. So you need to be really thoughtful about what you're building internally versus leveraging on the outside and think about it as a stepping stone, right? So what you're doing today may be different from what you're doing a year from now, but that really needs to be thought through from a channel perspective, because if all of a sudden you have a big win in your national, it's on retail on a bunch of shelves, it's like, well, how am I going to support that in terms of sales support, you know, on shelf support, demos, all that kind of stuff. So you have to really think through not just being getting into the channel. We like to talk about sell in versus sell through. You've got to really think about how are you going to effectively make sure that that sell through is happening? Because if the sell through isn't happening, that channel is going to die. That channel is not going to work out very well for you. When we think about getting into these new channels, really the goal is how can we build demand for the product in these new channels? And when you're going into these new places, um, like a retailer, like let's say you're not selling in a grocery store. Now you're going to a grocery store. There's a lot to think about. It's very complex, but how could we talk about like the marketing of this? How do you help companies as they are trying to acquire customers or educate customers, like their own customers now? Hey, we're in these retailers. What do you guys think about or how do you guys walk through with companies kind of marketing these new channels on, you know, a bigger kind of, uh, you know, big idea type scope? 
Yeah, I mean, really, that's the biggest challenge and the, the million, if not the billion dollar question for a lot of brands. And so I think that's really where the heaviest lifting occurs. And that's kind of, again, back to that sell in versus sell through. It's, it's a lot easier to get on shelf than to get stuff to, to, to move off shelf. And so, you know, the, the reality is it's going to be different for each brand. Um, and I think the reality is this is a key area where you need to kind of know what your limitations are and tap into outside resources, whether it's a, 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 a DTC specialist um, or, or somebody that's, you know, a, a retail marketing group or whatnot. Um, you know, the, the, the key is figuring out where your customers are and how you're going to capture their attention. Um, we're really big fans of finding kind of kindred brands that share common values and common customers and working together, especially for emerging brands. You know, it's a one plus one equals three or even five for a lot of these smaller brands, because you may have the exact same target customer, but completely different customer lists. Mm -hmm. So we really like when you can and it, this can be done online. It can be done in stores. Right. Um, um, you know, we have uh, an ice cream brand, Sacred Serve that partnered with uh, an on topping business where they had stickers on each other's products. It says, if you like this, you should have it with this product. And it was a, it was a coupon for it. You know, obviously from a digital perspective, it's, it's a lot easier. Um, you know, we're investors in a company called Baboon to the Moon, which has done some really good collaborations with other brands to kind of promote adventuring, whether it's a shoe brand or whatnot. And, and when you cross promote, now you've just basically opened up a whole other list that may not have heard of your brand before. And so, you know, I really think that leveraging and working with other brands to do joint promotion is, is really kind of one of the, the best. And the, the other thing that's going to kind of sound a little bit old school, but there's a DTC component to it is we're huge fans of sampling. And it's mm. expensive and it's hard to scale. It's and, it, and it's really not you know, it's a marketing line item. It's not, it's not something that that's easy to kind of justify the expenses when you get bigger. But, you know, when you're a founder and you get into, you know, the whole foods here in Chicago, you know, um, um, we have brands like sacred serve where Kaylee, the founder was in a different whole foods every day, handing out samples. And it really, it really established their brand in Chicago did a fantastic job. And so, I think sampling is a wonderful way. You've got to get your product in the hands of people. And I know it f seems old school, the whole Costco, you go and there's people just hand stuff out, but it, it really works. It really works. And there's, there's a strategy that we advocate for online businesses where it makes sense. So we also do a lot of personal care. And so in personal care, if you have small trial packets, right, you can do a program where when people come to the site, you have some nominal amount, you know, for a dollar, we'll send you three different trial packs. It's $5 worth of product. You know, if, if you then include a coupon for people to come back and get a discount on a full size order, you only need about a 10% take rate on that promo for it actually to pay for itself. So mm -hmm. again, you know, you've got to get your brand in front of people. You got to get your product in front of people. And so those are just a couple of ways that we do it. But we're big fans of, of, you know, working with other brands for joint promotions, sampling, getting your product in people's hands, whether it's in store, whether it's online, um, you know, at least from a consumer product perspective, people don't really see ads and think I'll go buy that anymore. They have to, they have to be hands on the product and try it. And then, you know, you'll capture them as a customer. Are there any other kind of uh, tactics that you kind of use for some of your companies that you're helping um, to help kind of bolster a lot of these sales um, or just kind of exposure 
when it comes to getting into these new channels, whether it's like a new grocery store or maybe even a new city? What are some other things that you guys kind of do? Well, you know, obviously, you know, being active, you know, whether it's social media or through influencers or whatever is, is really important, right? And again, that's where, you know, if you've defined your brand early and the founder can come through as, a, as an authentic person, you know, we're, we're investors in, in a, a, you know, a, a vegetarian, a vegan, a frozen food company called Cool Beans. And Tyler has a huge follower on, on social media. You know, he's constantly being interviewed about kind of the, the movement and um, he's really authentic, right? And, and, and I think that causes a lot of people to really kind of want to, 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 to try his products, right? And so, you know, um, I, I think being active, being vocal, um, being authentic um, and, and, you know, getting good press really matters. And, and I kind of have a love hate relationship. Can I say that with PR firms? Yeah. Um, um, because some of them are great and a lot of them, you, you know, you, you spend a lot of money and don't get a lot, but if you can find good ones, you know, um, on our brands that, that are, that are really up and coming, you know, you get one or two really good articles written about you and it moves the needle like you wouldn't believe. And so, whether it's just local press, um, you know, we had uh, um, um, companies that did things within COVID to get press that wasn't even related to their business. Murphy's made hand sanitizer, for example, got some nice press out of that and just people to kind of find the brand. So PR really matters and, and it's going to be different for each brand. You know, sometimes it's going to be social media influencers. You know, I'm not a big fan of the pay celebrities to kind of um, um, pose for a picture with, with stuff, but um, um, you know, some of our brands that have really um, done an amazing job, DTC, really have unbelievable games in terms of social media and PR. As you expand beyond DTC and get into Amazon, grocery stores, and other retailers, acquiring customers changes for each channel. I want to understand the biggest challenges brands face when acquiring customers on Amazon and other retailers. You know, again, it really is going to be different by brand and you really need to be focused on trying a bunch of stuff and figuring out what is effective, both in terms of, of acquiring customers and managing your customer acquisition costs, right? I mean, I can sell a $20 bill for a dollar all day long, right? I mean, that's, that's a no brainer, but it's a horrible business. And so, you know, the nice thing about DTC is it usually has pretty good margins. So it gives you the ability to try a bunch of stuff and really measure your effectiveness of it. And you get a lot of those metrics, which allows you to kind of real time A-B test. So, you know, you really should become the, you know, the scientific method of, of, of A-B testing different ads, different approaches, all of that kind of stuff and figuring out what works for your brand and for your customers. You know, um, Amazon is a, is a whole other thing in and of itself, right? I mean, you, you, you can no longer just be listed on Amazon and be okay, right? You have to, you have to not just present well on Amazon, you, you, you have to be almost a, a destination, right? You, you're, you're, um, um, you need to have a brand page, you need to have a brand presence, you have to really have content that communicates not just bullet lists and features about your, your, your product, but really communicates what your brand stands for and all of that kind of stuff. And with Amazon, again, you have to keep A-B testing to make sure that you're optimizing, you know, what's working in terms of that. And Amazon, there's a whole other set of issues around, you know, you've got to manage Amazon as a customer, right? Because Amazon's such a behemoth, there's constant problems around, you know, a product gets delisted or it shows up as, 
as not in stock or you have people competing against you and trying to utter, undercut your price. Um, um, you, you know, Amazon's funny because you, you get to the point where Amazon starts looking like it's bringing down your gross margin on a percent basis. But if you start looking at Amazon on a gross profit dollars basis, you know, you can't not do it. And I know there are some big brands that are now saying we're not doing Amazon anymore, but it's kind of like Walmart was a decade ago. You know, it, it is such a huge engine, but it's not just getting listed on Amazon. I mean, you've really got to be good about um, um, presenting your brand on Amazon, if that makes sense. What do you think or what are best practices when it comes to presenting on Amazon? Let's get a little bit more tactical here. Like, what are you seeing that, hey, this really works? Um, you talked about how Amazon, you need it needs to be kind of your brand needs to be a destination on Amazon. What makes some brands stand out on Amazon as this? Oh, they're their destination versus the ones that are just kind of struggling. They're on there. They're not getting a lot of traction. What's that difference? Well, I mean, first and foremost, you need to have a, a brand destination page, right? You need to have kind of a home on Amazon um, so that if somebody either knows your brand or comes in through one product, you know, they come in and get your whole brand messaging and see what your products are. And, you know, quite honestly, you know, there are folks that their entire business is just optimizing Amazon. And that's one of those areas where we would bring somebody from the outside in because I know enough to be dangerous about how to be successful on Amazon, but any brand that we have that wants to seriously win on Amazon, I would recommend that that's either where you strategically hire somebody or you bring in a third party that just lives and breathes. It's kind of like what SEO used to be where, you know, the SEO rules would change so much that you would need to have somebody that just woke up every day and read the latest on the Google al algorithm so that they could optimize it for you. You're not going to do that yourself. That's what, that's now what Amazon is. Amazon is now the SEO where you have to have people that, that live and breathe how Amazon presents listings um, try AB testing things to see what gets the best sell through. That is an area where I recommend, you know, talk to some, some firms that specifically focus on, on doing just that because it really is an expertise that you need if you want to really be successful on Amazon. You want to be able to like, okay, I want one channel to be really good. Like I want my direct consumer on my website to be really good, but then to make Amazon, you have to be driving traffic there. So how do you keep all of these channels kind of moving forward without them hurting each other. Yeah. You need the channels to kind of coexist, right? So, yeah. um, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, what's the right mix from a channel perspective and there's no right or wrong answer, but I do think that, you know, you need to support the channels that have supported you. Um, but you also need to build your direct channel because that's really going to be where you own the customer, where you get the best margins, et cetera. And so any customer, any, any brand that can kind of continue to march its direct channel up to be five, 10, 20, 25, you know, even up to 50% of their sales, you know, that's a really healthy thing to do. And, you know, there's different strategies for kind of getting those channels to play well together. You know, a lot of times, especially once a business gets bigger, you know, you'll have a different product mix for channel, right? And in the old days, that would be like, okay, well, you have a sub-brand for mass and, and, and your main brand for specialty or whatnot. You know, it's similar where you can do exclusives around whether it's colors or whatnot. You know, you want to really make sure that every channel is, you got to show it the love, right? And on your website, you want to drive people to Amazon or whatever, you know, other 
direct e-commerce sites you're being sold through and, and, and retailers and all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I've worked with apparel brands where on their website, they used to every week or every month or whatever, highlight a different specialty retailer and talk about the history and all of that kind of stuff and really kind of show them the love. So, you know, it's, it's hard because, you know, you really want to drive as much business to your website as possible, but you don't want to bite the hand that feeds. Right. And so, um, um, especially the retailers that, that helped you in the early days, you know, you really want to, to continue to, to work as hard as you can for those channels. And so I, I don't think of it in terms of as your percentage of DTC goes up, that you're taken away from other channels, you're just growing a bigger pie. Right. right. And so you want to continue to add more SKUs and sell through more, et cetera, et cetera, to all those channels. You just want your DTC to grow faster. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think the other thing to kind of mention is you really want to be careful around price. Right. Um, and so, you know, everybody needs to do the occasional sale, whether it's holiday, seasonal, end of season, whatnot. Um, um, but you need to be really careful because you can um, um, really offend other channels very quickly, especially, you know, physical retailers that are battling against e-commerce across the board. And so um, you just want to be really careful about that. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, but uh, uh, but long story short, you want to have a healthy balance between your channels and you want to really make sure that you're doing everything you can to support all your channels, grow a bigger pie and continue to make that slice that's direct consumer grow bigger as a percentage. But, you know, you never see companies or rarely see companies that were multi-channel retrench back to DTC unless something went wrong. Usually you see the opposite where it's a DTC brand that's expanded into Target, Bed Bath Beyond, whatever, because that, you know, COVID brought e-commerce from something like 10% to 30%. But that still means that 60 to 70% of of purchases are happening in stores, right? So that's still where the lion's share of purchases are happening. And you're missing a huge opportunity if you're not really focusing on all of those channels eventually. You've invested in lots of companies. You've seen companies grow. You've seen lots of companies succeed and fail. So for you, um, what are some of the major common issues brands have at the um, at the beginning of like when they're really starting to scale and um, how do you prevent some of those things from happening? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's kind of this catch 22 for emerging brands in that everybody loves a capital efficient business and the founder that can wear seven hats and do a whole bunch without a ton of capital. But at the same time, you reach a point where you have to build ahead of growth or somebody's going to leapfrog you. And so that's one area where we actually spend a lot of time with brands is talking about how much money should I raise? Where should I invest, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you do need to eventually, you know, kind of build the team ahead of growth, invest in whether it's you're working through a third party or building your own manufacturing, you know, investing on, uh, 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 you know, operationally to make sure that you're you're kind of fighting above your weight class in terms of, of, of production and distribution and all of that kind of stuff. And that's where we come in because you need money to do that, right? And, and I have the utmost respect for founders that can take a company a really long way without requiring outside capital, um, invest, reinvesting back into the business, investing their own money in the business. 
Um, and you can you can take companies all the way to the promised land by by doing that. But but more often than not, if you don't have enough capital to step on the gas, somebody is going to leapfrog you. You know, every successful brand has a target on its back. And so you just need to be aware that if you don't move fast enough, somebody will beat you to it. And um, um, and so we're constantly asking the question of what would a little bit more money do for you and where would you where would you um, where would you spend that? And so um, um, that's kind of, I guess, again, an area where we have a lot of conversations with companies, um, um, you know, brands. Are, are your moat for a lot of consumer products. Um, some brands, some products do have intellectual property patents and all that kind of stuff, but, but more, more often than not, they don't. So your brand is your moat and your, your speed to market is where you win, right? Um, and so you need capital to do that and you eventually need to step on the gas. Um, um, the other thing that early stage companies kind of get caught up is kind of around gross margins. And so... You know, in the early days of a lot of businesses, your production isn't optimized. Maybe you're using a third party that's doing um, smaller batch runs. You're not buying stuff in bulk. You know, your gross margins aren't where they need to be. And that's okay. We understand that. And and what you need to do is you need to be really focused in mapping out where your gross margins are going to go. And and we will sit down with companies who spend a lot of time saying, okay, well, when you can buy this in bulk or when you can buy this machine and produce in higher quantities or whatnot, where does that get your gross margins? Because the gross margin drives everything about your business. It, it dictates what you can do in the future. And there's a lot of folks that when you sit down and you you think through it, you're like, this gross margin's never gonna get to where it needs to be for this to be a successful business. And it's much, much, much better to kind of figure that out sooner rather than later. Um, but that's an area where we spend a lot of time with companies is thinking through kind of that, what we call the gross margin bridge. Where are we today? Where are we a year from now, two years from now? And how do you get there? Um, because that drives your your strategy uh, in terms of what you have money to spend on, when you need to raise money, all of that, as much as almost anything you're doing. And so in the early days, people, a lot of times they'll just say, oh, we have you know not a great gross margin, but that's because we're early and they just kind of shrug their shoulders. No, you really have to think through that. That really has to drive your plan. And it's the one thing that you're in control of, right? You're not in control of how many people buy your product, um, which retailers take on your product, et cetera. Um, um, but you are in control when you hit those different thresholds of what you can do to change your gross margin. So we spend a lot of time helping people through, think through that as well. Having a great team can be the difference maker between a company failing and succeeding. I want to know how companies should think about hiring and building out a team. You got to start by saying what roles are going to be most impactful for this business. Maybe it's an ops role if you're you're manufacturing a house, maybe it's a sales role if you're opening up a new channel. Um, um, you know, we um, are huge fans of folks having a stake in the outcome. So, you know, we're huge advocates of having some sort of sort of a of a, an employee incentive plan, stock option plan, whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, you got to do it the right way. You got to have it best over time, all that kind of stuff. It's got to be, it's got to be, um, um, done the right way, but we're huge fans of people throughout an organization having an, a share of the upside. And, and I think that's a great way to get people, you know, 
to kind of rally behind what you're doing. And then I think, again, back to my original point about developing the brand early, it's really important that when you're hiring, that you're hiring folks that are a brand fit as well. And, 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 and it doesn't matter whether you're more of a behind the scenes person or the, the you know, upfront marketing sampling person, you want people that are excited about the journey that you're on from, from a culture, from a values perspective. Because if somebody's just coming in to kind of do their job and get a paycheck, you know, the, the reality is, is there, there, there's a chance that they're not going to stick around as long. And so we kind of constantly say, you know, find people that are really excited about what you're doing. Because if you get more of a, of a, of a generalist that just is in love with your brand, is, 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 it lives your values and all that, you can get them the skills to figure out, you know, you, you know, and a lot of times when you leverage these outside groups. So one of the things kind of back to Amazon is, you know, you can find somebody who doesn't necessarily have the expertise, um, but just loves your brand and is smart and, and excited and energetic and then hire an outside group for a year to help you really execute on the Amazon strategy and have them work very closely with that person and develop that person into your in-house Amazon expert. And I think that's better than a lot of people are like, oh, I got to go find an Amazon expert to hire, right? No, find somebody that, that loves your brand and lives your brand because they will jump out of bed and really love working for, for this company. And then if you give them a stake in the business, um, then they're, then that just really is a, is kind of icing on the cake from an incentive perspective. So that's what we preach, you know, instead of going out, it's, it's nice to be able to find people with the specific skills, but just find great people that love the brand and live the brand. And, um, and if you need to spend some money on training them, then, then turn them into that skill set that you need. It usually works out better than a nationwide search to find, you know, an Amazon expert that wants to move and take that specific job. Let's jump into some quick fire questions to finish off this interview. Um, what's one tech company in e-commerce space um, that you've been a fan of lately? It could be B2B, BC, but like, what are you excited about in terms yeah, of tech? I'm going to twist your question a little bit. So I'm going to talk about a Go tech ahead. company that's actually taking the e-com paradigm to in-store retail. So there's a company it. called Retail Aware that... Um, um, has done really amazing work over the last couple of years to develop these sensors that sit within point of sale displays that allow you to have literally the same kind of data that you would have in the virtual world. So interactions with customers, um, um, conversion rates, demographics on the customers that are walking by your shelf versus stopping at your shelf, a real-time dashboard for point of sale displays in stores, like what you would have on a website. It's really mind blowing to be able to have that kind of data in a retail environment. Um, and, and they're just doing an amazing job. It's the coolest thing for somebody that's a geek on retail to see that for store in store sales is, is just really cool. I love that. What's a, what's a DTC brand right now that you're, you're really a big fan of, um, that you want people to, to hear about it. Maybe it's, maybe it's a smaller brand that's up and coming. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it'll be a shameless promotion because it's one of the companies in our portfolio. I love but, it. Um, there's a company called Caraway Home that's just absolutely crushing it. And um, uh, we feel fortunate to, to be a supporter of this brand. Um, I, I, I met them very early on and was just blown away the level of passion and knowledge that they had for creating cookware that's better for you. And, and, and a common theme in our portfolio is the companies all have some aspect of better for you, better for the world. 
And to hear the founder's story about leaving, you know, a, a pan with chemical coating on and have it, you know, start to kind of crackle and smoke and, oh my God, what chemicals and fumes am I ingesting and all that. And he really went on a quest to give people cool uh, cookware that, that wasn't going to harm you. And um, um, we had the fortune of investing right before COVID hit, and then everybody was stuck at home uh, uh, needing new cookware. And, and so he really just absolutely, uh, um, they've just hit it out of the park. And um, it's probably one of the few products, as somebody that's been investing in consumer products for a long time, uh, I've given my family a whole bunch of stuff. They're my guinea pigs. They try all this kind of stuff. My wife... Uh, um, her caraway cookware is like her latest child. Like if I have the heat on too high, <laughs> she will come at me and um, make sure that I'm not doing anything to her caraway. So they've just, they've, again, they've, they've developed a brand from the beginning. That's about um, um, better cookware. That's better for you. And when people, when people connect with that, it really, they will care about cookware more than they ever thought that they could. And so to create that in a brand, um, um, and, the, and, and back to that whole DTC is a channel, not a brand, you know, they've gotten to the point where now they're doing some exclusives with crate and barrel and stuff like that. So they're, they're moving kind of beyond, but obviously when COVID hit, they were restricted to doing, you know, primarily direct to consumer. So, um, um, at some point when he's able to talk about the, the secrets of all the wonderful things that he did, he's going to, he's going to have the best masterclass in building a direct to consumer brand. Anybody that I've ever ever known or worked with. It's just an incredible brand and, and they've done an amazing job. I finish off the podcast with a segment called Open Mic. This is a chance for my guests to share anything they want. A lot of times I feel like people are stuck behind the industry that they are in, but we're all human and we have interests outside of just that industry. So this is a space for my guests to say whatever they want to say. Kind of outside of consumer or whatnot, you know, one of the big topics these days um, obviously, there's a lot of money being invested. There's a lot of deals getting done. Um, a lot of talk about whether or not we're creating a new bubble and what's going on with valuations and all of that. And um, um, my comment is to be helpful to entrepreneurs that are raising capital out there, because one of the questions that I get from people a lot is when I pitch my company, should I have an ask around my valuation in terms or should I let, you know, it be proposed by the investor. And there's no right or wrong on this, but you know, there's so many deals out there. I think that in 2020, there were a lot of people that said, this isn't going to be a good time to raise capital. So they waited as long as they could. And there's just been a flood of deals in 2021. And um, um, it's okay if you want to go out and be aggressive with these are the terms, but there's a risk associated to that. And that is that there's so many deals right now that if people get the initial feeling that you're too far off in terms of valuation, they may really love what you're doing, but they're just going to say, it's not worth our time to dig in. We're never going to bridge that gap. And so, and so, you know, you got to do what you feel you need to do in terms of you want to lead with evaluation or whatnot, but be open to the feedback where you really, to almost probably a fault, we're really open and honest. We'll just say, you know, I love your company, but this evaluation, I just don't think we'll ever get there or whatnot. Um, and, um, um, you know, you need to get to a point, a founder's job is to balance getting all of the capital that a company needs into the business as efficiently as possible, because fundraising takes a ton of time and you've got a business to run. That's your job. And so you got to get the capital 
and you got to get it into your business. And so, you know, it's a little bit of a self-serving comment because we're, we're obviously trying to invest in companies at better valuations, but I really, it really pains me to see a lot of really good businesses that are having problems and, and even starting to stumble a little bit because they've spent so much time fundraising and they're not getting the capital that they need. And I've been very public about this, that we see so many great companies I wish I could invest in. I can't invest in all of them, but the number one reason that we pass on deals is terms, you know, and I mm-hmm. hate to pass on a great company because of terms. And sometimes they'll still go get the deal done and, and it'll be my loss and that's fine. But, um, but you need to, just like with end customers, you need to kind of be able to read the tea leaves and get the feedback and adjust because at a certain point you're going to strangle your company in, in terms of both your time allocation to it and not having the, the capital. So I really, I really want companies to get the resources that they need to be successful. Um, I'm not out there just trying to, you know, get deals at cut rate prices. I want companies to go on to be successful. And I, and I think it is increasingly a hang up for companies, great companies that I talk to that they have this idea around evaluation and they can't, they can't let it go. And you got to get the money in, you got to move on. And so, you know, hopefully that's helpful to folks to hear. Um, and um, I know there's a lot of companies that are still going to go out and raise it, it valuations that are, that are crazy. And that, that's great for them. But, um, um, you know, it, that can also backfire too, right? If you raise it too high of a valuation that can backfire the next time. So again, I know it's always self-serving to hear an investor say, you know, um, um, be realistic on the prices that you're asking people to pay. But um, um, I guess my soapbox comment is that there's actually some genuine like care in giving that advice that it is actually good for companies to raise incrementally at reasonable valuations, leave something on the table for the next round of investors, grow into it. Um, um, and I say that a lot on social media and sometimes people don't like to hear it. And sometimes people love to hear it. And I just, you know, I, I, I say it to be helpful. This conversation with Jason taught me more about life after DTC and how to get into retailers, grocery stores, and Amazon. You can follow Jason on LinkedIn and Twitter, and we're also going to be putting more information about his work down in the show notes. Thank you, Jason, for being on the show. If you like this show, please drop a rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast listening app. And if you really love this show, please share this episode with a friend. Thanks in advance.